Welcome to How About Em, where a corporate sellout and a stay-at-home dad prolong the victory of your team with detailed discussion on your side's big win. We'll also be chopping up video content of your star performance on YouTube and social media so you can come back to the win over and over again. Like and subscribe and follow us on the socials listed in the show's notes. Enjoy the show. How about them, Premiership winners, the Geelong Football Club? Zaki, how did you see the game play out? Well, it was total annihilation. It's, it's, there's not a very wrinkly answer here. It was up and down the field perfection. A perfect, perfect performance. Uh, Geelong were clean by hand all day. Exquisitely clean. You could tell how informed they were. Great use by foot. Beastly in the stoppages. Uh, dominant in one-on-one duels all over the ground. The defense was on top all game, and the offense was typically in sync. So I can't really go into the deep, deep wrinkles of nuance because it was a complete dominant performance up and down. It was. I think from the first few minutes, you could just tell that Geelong were on. Yep. And it was going to be a like for Sydney to be able to get into the game, a lot had to go right, and Geelong just did not allow that to happen. The game was com- played completely on their terms. Yeah, my, my favourite word since starting this podcast is the word typify. So there's some sequences that I've got to outline. Yep. Uh, the sequences that typified this game. And I'm going to start with a couple of Sydney sequences, to be perfectly honest. I actually think Sydney's best sequence was in the second quarter, that was their best quarter where they kicked the same amount of goals as Geelong. Uh, they were doing so much right in transition. They had to do so much right to work through the Geelong transition defense. And very often they would cough it up at the end anyway. So there was a Fox, Florent, Clark, Warner link up in the second quarter. The Cats' wave of pressure just kept coming. And Sydney ended up getting a goal out of it. There was a Gary Rowan high tackle free kick at the end and ended up being a a McLean goal. But you could see how much had to go right for Sydney to kick a goal. At that point, Geelong had already kicked probably seven goals, I would say, off the top of my head. The next passage of play, the Swans did the same thing. They tried to methodically work through Geelong's transition Everyone in Geelong's transition was perfectly positioned to pressure. Um, and it was Duncan who plucked it off at the top of the 50. They could yeah, gain, I remember that, yeah. They, they struggled to gain territory all game, the Swans. So, yeah. yeah, I think what, what, what that typifies was how well Sydney had to play. Like they had to you know, be able to break tackles and then release players all game in order to get any uh, possession forward. Yep. You stole my word, by the way, typify. Yeah, yeah, no, it's the word of the podcast. It's the word of the podcast, that's right. We should actually rename it typify. So those are the Sydney sequences that captured this game. And like, if I could describe this Geelong team and why they were so dominant across the course of the year, it's that you just have to do too much right to beat them. And there hasn't been a team in the league this year that has shown that they could do that this year. That's why they're on a tier of their own. Um, The other thing I wanted to explore was Geelong's source of goals. They came from everywhere. Everywhere. They came from everywhere. The first goals were the Hawkins goals, so their forward 50 stoppage goals. That's great. Isaac Smith's first goal was from a Dangerfield centre clearance, so centre clearance goal, happy days. Hawkins had a goal in the third quarter. It was a wing stoppage where it was a really well-contested ground ball. Dangerfield swooped. 
kicked a very penetrating ball forward to a one-on-one Hawkins. He kicks a goal. So that's a wing stoppage goal. Isaac Smith's second goal was the O'Connor tackle chasing down Rowbottom, and they transitioned the ball well, and then it ended up in sort of, I call it a belief goal because they had so many numbers to the ball by the time they transitioned it that Isaac Smith just ran it out the front and kicked a goal. So that's that's how dominant they were is they came from everywhere, death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, so that nice turnover goal. Yeah, yeah, called turnover and, and transition. We didn't actually get to see Geelong's transition very much. I wish I could have listed a kick-out goal there. Um, <laughs> yep. Maybe there was one, but um, it wasn't really needed because they had the territory for so much of the game. Yeah, and I think when we were looking at the stats, we did see that Sydney did win the clearance. Clearances. Yep. What do you make of that? Uh, I was blown away. I checked that stat on the rewatch, and I'm pretty confident that... Part of that was junk time. Um, the Up until quarter three, Geelong were in front and it definitely felt like so much of this game came down to Geelong having territory, Geelong protecting territory. Uh, so, so that involves clearance dominance. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And then I think one of the words that we can use to describe the final series has been pressure mm-hmm. and Geelong's pressure was unreal. So one of those Sydney plays that you were describing earlier, I think their first passage... Uh, Gary Rowan had three huge defensive efforts. Like, granted, he gave away two free kicks in, in three of those efforts, <laughs> but like that just shows the desire and the want that was that every one of these Geelong players had. And they just had when the ball was in the air, they they were dominant, and when the ball was on the ground, they were dominant. Yep. And it seemed every sort of fifty fifty ball that went uh, that was there to be won, and Geelong won it. They somehow just got a clearance, or they just were able to skip away with the ball. But whenever Sydney got their hands on the ball first, they were just tackled. Yes, exactly. Would you say it's a crime or should be a crime that we've gotten this far into this segment without mentioning saying the term men against boys? Because it was an absolute men against boys performance, wasn't it? It it was. Geelong are just so experienced. Uh, You know, they had the oldest list ever. Ever. Yep. So 28 to play. Mm -hmm. And you, you could just tell that they were really experienced. Uh, what we've talked about is how well Geelong have managed their players. Mm-hmm. So you know, Patrick Dangerfield, Joel Selwood come to mind. Come to mind, and they were just primed. Probably the best managed season that I can remember, to be honest. Um, yeah, it was it was awesome to see, and Dangerfield in particular, his final series was amazing. Probably it adds to his legacy massively. I, I think so, and I was thinking about it today or earlier. So his game today was very different from his game last week. Yep. Remember last week, he was just an aerial beast. Mm-hmm. But this game was whenever the ball was on the ground, he was like the way that I would use to describe Patrick Dangerfield was he was like a, a massive cat chasing his prey and the prey was the ball. Yep. And he'd just jump, get the ball. He'd be on his hands on, on his knees and then he'd just do a release handball. Or then he'd be hitting up targets. It was... He was the apex predator of this game, he wasn't was. he? He was. Yep, yep. Everything that was great about this Geelong team stood out in this game. The hardness of their midfield, the brilliance of their back line, and the cohesive excellence of their forward line. Yep. Zachy, who did you have as the BOG? I personally had Dangerfield, but I think this is a really interesting chat and full respect to Isaac Smith. This is how I'm going to summarise those games. I do think Isaac Smith is a deserving Norm Smith medalist, absolutely. But Danger was my best on. 
this is how I'd separate their games. Smith was probably the most productive player on the field. He was everywhere. He played an amazing grand final. It helps when you kick the goals that he did and at the time that he did. So I think he's very deserving. I thought his touch was amazing all game as well. He was really good at roving the spoils of his defenders very cleanly. He had such a clean set of hands and heaps of inside 50s early. He did a bit of everything. He had 11 inside 50s for the game. 11 inside 50s, exactly. I believe that, absolutely. So he, he was the most productive. However, as you said, Dangerfield was the apex predator of this game. Dangerfield was the force looming over this game. If you ask me who's the best player out there, I would say Dangerfield 10 times out of 10. He, he had... Seven goal assists, or score assists, six goal assists. He was in everything. It was such an awesome, awesome game to see for his legacy. So that's my answer. What do you yeah. reckon? Uh, I, I agree. I'm going to go with Dangerfield. Um, he was the apex predator. Um, and just a, a few more stats to, to go by as well. So he did have 13 score involvements, nine clearances, seven inside 50s. And and there was a lot of uh, a lot of his efforts, like defensive efforts, were really noticeable as well. So I think there was a time in the uh, second or third quarter where he had a really nice spoil on Oli Florent, which led to a Guthrie goal. Third quarter, yeah. Yeah, third quarter. Uh, there was another one of Jeremy Cameron's goals was a uh, there was two really big efforts by Dangerfield. Mm-hmm. So this doesn't come up onto the score sheet, but you know that that goal was a direct result of. Dangerfield, and then also De Koning's last goal. That's it. Yep, he was a beast, and he hacked it around the corner to yeah. De Koning on the line. Yeah, it was just because he was so much bigger and stronger than his Sydney counterparts that he could manage to kick the ball to De Koning. I thought he was special. But then, yeah, I think Isaac Smith, yeah, really productive. Like, for him, for us not to say that he was the best on ground shows just how good Dangerfield was. Because Smith was that really, again, that really nice connection between uh, defense and offense that we, we love. And he was so clean with the ball, especially his handballing. Yes. Like, we all know Isaac Smith as a, a racehorse, and he's got a beautiful um, raking kick. But I thought his hands were really clean today. It was, well. it was probably the tightest two-man race for Norm that I can remember, to be honest. Because on rewatch, as the game went on, I became more leaning towards danger. And that's because there were so many fun sequences. Let's keep reeling off danger sequences. So Isaac Smith's um, centre clearance goal, what Dangerfield does in that centre clearance is he dives in, wrenches it out, releases the ball. Uh, I'm pretty sure Stengel's goal in the second quarter, which was the centre clearance goal, also came from a Dangerfield release to Atkins. So you, you rewind on so many of them. But then the other thing I noticed, Ollie, funnily enough, is you, that very same rewind, Isaac Smith was in so many <laughs> of those sequences. Yeah. Yeah, so he just kept coming back. So it was an amazing performance from both players. Um, who else was in your best? Yeah, so another player that I have is Bissars. Yep. So this guy's just... He plays so many roles, and he plays them at such a high level. So... You know, there's some players that we know who can swing forward and back, but there is, they're always better back or they're always better forward. With Blissars, what's his best position? Oof, I suppose whatever he did in this grand final <laughs> is his best position. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so just some stats to show his versatility. He kicked that goal, mm-hmm. had 23 touches, 
eight tackles, 15 hitouts, four clearances, five inside 50s. Yep. This is a complete game. Yes. Like he, he did a bit of everything, and he did a bit of everything uh, to a really high level. Yep. Yep. And then he had some really nice uh, center uh, sort of work in the center where he he's because he's so tall he can just release. He's really hard to wrap up. His release yeah. handballs were like his his go to in this game. He has so many of them. You can be sure that I'm going to be cutting up a video of his game because uh, it sticks out. He was he's my clear third best player on the ground. I thought he was a, he was a clearance beast in congestion. Yeah. Um, and one of the key differences between the sides. Now, obviously, this was a smashing, so it's hard to say, oh, pick one player of Geelong to put on Sydney to swing the game. But it is the size and power, respectively, of Blissavs and Dangerfield that gave them such a point of difference in the midfield, along with many other brilliant contributions from other midfielders. But those are the two things that leapt out. Blitzarves, it was it was as if he was Patrick Cripps in clearances. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was so good. Yep. So who else did you have in your best? Well, I think Hawkins deserves a mention because his, his first two goals are when the game was at its tightest. It looked its closest, even though Geelong were on top. Geelong had the territory. But for a little while, Sydney's defence was holding up okay before it could be exposed. And Hawkins was the first person to break that open with his two very high degree of difficulty goals out of the ruck. And yep. so I, I absolutely highly value that. And what that that has a knock-on effect. He kicked three goals, four in this game. And 11 years ago, I think he might have kicked three goals, four as well in a grand final. And it looked so different as the three goals, four. This yeah. one, he just does those little things that he can. Whereas the last one, he was stop. Uh, sorry, he was a pack marking beast. Yeah, and and now. Uh, now he's just got so many um, ways to kick goals. So, for example, there's when he's like charging forward and they just spear him and he takes a mark or from the center uh, from a boundary throw in. He's yeah, he's a special player. Does he have the best timed lead in the AFL? I'd, I'd say so. Yeah, him him or Jeremy Cameron as well. Yeah, because you know how very often big, heavy bodied forwards they usually have underrated foot speed. Like, I don't quite see that with Hawkins. I see it's all timing, all timing and the work he does before the ball to create that space on his opponent. Yeah. Well, he's such a strong man as well that he would be able to push, like bench press his opponent away and then start running and that would give enough separation just because he's so strong. He'd have pretty good acceleration uh, so, and he's just fast enough that he... And he's so big as well. Like because his shoulders are so broad, you have to have really long arms like Harris Andrews in order to spoil him. And I think at times, um, McCart- Tom McCartan just looked a bit too small against him. And Tom McCartan is a very good uh, defender, and he just looked too small. Yeah, I thought Hawkins probably deserved a couple free kicks across the game as well. So he was a dominant forward. Being a dominant forward in a grand final gets you a list in the best in my books. Um, yeah. Who else is in your best? Uh, so I had Joel Selwood. Yep. So the first quarter, he had 12 touches. So this is when the qu- the game was there to be won. He started on the bench, came on, had an immediate impact. Uh, and then, yeah, and then he kicked that brilliant goal, yeah, uh, which just brought the house down. I thought saw that his family uh, were crying because it meant so much to him. And you could tell how much it meant to the whole team. But yeah, I thought he, li- he was really important in the first quarter where the game, when the game was there to be won. 
Uh, and then he ended the game with 26 touches, yep. which is vintage Joel Selwood. He was absolutely awesome. I want to give Stengel a shout for the best. He kicked four, and his goals are always difficult, of course. Yeah. Um, so he deserves a mention, and his goals, the timing of them was pretty important in the second quarter, those those two bombs. That I reckon that, that gets you in the list for me. Yep. Yep. Who, who's, who else is in your best? Yeah. Uh, I want to also talk about Mitch Duncan. So Mitch Duncan was everywhere in this game. His running capacity is just unreal. Uh, like, you know, he had 27 disposals, so just really busy, busy all over the field. He had score, some really nice score involvements, um, 13 marks, which just typifies how hard he was working throughout the game. So he, he's more of a death by a thousand cuts type of player. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention Mitch Duncan. Yeah, your answer had the word typify. Well, my answer is going to have the word typify too when I talk about Duncan. Yep. One of my favorite sequences of the game, and this is so, so Geelong. Collar Jasney wins the ball on halfback, gives it to Blissarves. Blissarves releases to Atkins. Collar Jasney gets it back, gets it to Duncan. Duncan hits a kick that not many players in the AFL can make this decision. He hits Stengel on half forward. Stengel, if you look up the field, has nothing on. Most teams in the AFL in this position, bomb away to nothing. And it's the teams like Geelong that just gobble it up. What does Duncan do? He runs on, presents the target, and Stengel kicks with a purpose. So many of their positions, their possessions inside 50 have purpose to them. They're trying to achieve something. And even though it just gets you a short kick mark on the 50 to Mitch Duncan and it's not an immediate goal, their possessions inside 50 always have purpose to them and it comes from the hard running of Duncan to enable Stengel to feel comfortable making that decision, hitting that kick. We have a segment in this podcast for unheralded players and we have a segment in this podcast for young players. What I'm actually going to do here, because it was a premiership, a grand final, is we are just going to roll through the players on the Geelong Football Club. So, Ollie, who do you want to talk about first? So, uh, Reese Stanley. Perhaps unlucky not to make it into the best, but he was the dominant ruckman of on the game. Yep. Um, he had just some high-level stats to... Back this up is he had 16 disposals, he had 27 hitouts. He took a few nice marks uh, down back, and and some of his kicks were really nice coming out of defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought he really nullified Tom Hickey as well. Tom Hickey didn't do anything. Yeah, I, I love his ground ball aggression these days. He's a pretty good tackling ruckman, and it helps that he's quite quick by foot to close out and make those tackles. Yeah, did win a grand final sprint back in the day. That's true, exactly. Yeah. And um, he's... Clean, quite clean by hand. You mentioned the versatility. Yeah, brilliant. I'll throw one at you, Tom Atkins. What do you think of his game? Just a, a typical Tom Atkins game. Uh, really busy inside. Like was in a lot of their center clearances, and you know they they won the clearances, or they didn't win it on paper, but you know they were the dominant team. Yep. And he's just an integral engine, part of that engine. Yeah, absolutely. He he gives you the knock ons, the pressure acts. The great tackles. His kicking in this game was good, which we'll come back to in later categories. Um, I think if you're going to say Atkins, this is the time to mention Guthrie because they're they're an adjacency pair almost. I think if you started this season and thought, how can what what is a possible weakness Geelong can have? 
And, you know, that's not to mention that their forward line got better as the year went on, their back line got better. But you could possibly look at their midfield and say, Selwood and Danger are a bit older mm. and the, the non-Selwood, non-Danger midfielders, um, are they good enough? Damn right they're good enough. Yeah. yeah. And Gu- Guthrie, similar to Atkins, does all the hard stuff. He's a really hard runner. Obviously subbed off in this game, um, but he, he had an excellent season and a really strong game. Uh, who else do you want to mention? Uh, so then, how about Jeremy Cameron? Yeah, fair call. How did you see his game? His game was probably underrated, to be honest. His presenting up of the ball on half forward line was really good. Hawkins, a lot of the time, doesn't have the space that he does if he doesn't have an incredibly hard-running Cameron up the field creating space for him. And they use him really well, and why wouldn't they? Because he's such a good user. He's such a good key of the ball. Yeah. Um, I thought it was nice that his friends, his teammates got him a couple goals at the yeah, end of the game. The Dangerfield handball, yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, good, rock solid game for, in my opinion, their best player in 2022. Yeah. I th- and because he's such a good player and the way that he plays, it just allows mm. Hawkins to have such an easier game and, and the small forwards as well. So even though on paper you could say that it wasn't his best game because he's Jeremy Cameron and how hard he works and the and the threat that he poses, that no matter – that Geelong are always going to be dangerous when they have Jeremy Cameron playing. Yeah. I, I figure this is the moment to say this. If you want a player to win a premiership, a player to win a grand final and a player to build a dynasty, Geelong have some fun candidates for this. And I'm going with player to win a premiership, Jeremy Cameron, for this year. And that's because he was their best player across the year. He he was amazing. I think he deserves their best and fairest. And he was the most impactful talent across the year on how good they were. I think Dangerfield is the winner grand final because I think his grand final was amazing. And you just need to see how they managed him for this final series to typify that. <laughs> And I think Selwood and Hawkins share the other one because they've been the long-timers that have just... They always get the job done. Yeah. So Selwood is the first four-time premiership uh, winner for Geelong. Really? Yes. Wow. That, that's quite a feat for such a great team, great club. For a great club, yeah. Uh, who else did you uh, have... Or who else do you want to mention next? De Koning. De Koning early on was gobbling up intercepts left and right in the first quarter. I thought... Um, defenders, especially Geelong's defence, they kind of it's a rotating doors of high quality production. Uh, so De Koning for me was the first player to make an impression of their defenders, but he he kept spoiling it across the game. He he's going to be this guy that we talk about in a few years' time for Geelong's next premiership, where we reflect in the same way that I have for Hawkins earlier. Yeah, I think he could he be the best young key position defender in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And Geelong just have a key position defender factory. Yes. They have had for the last 20 years. Yeah. It's unfair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's unfair, but it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> they deserve it. Who else you got in your list? So uh, I really like the game of their two small forwards. So um, close. Mm-hmm. He, like... He's really built into a really strong, important player for Geelong. Uh, a lot of his tackles, his pressure, his knock-ons, his goal assists were really important. Uh, and he's, he's roving as well from the pack. It was uh, really special to see. I think he's become one of their, 
he's become a he's made himself a very important player to this side. He's really good. I think he is kind of almost in their extended best. He was yeah. he was excellent across this game. Kick difficult goals, really nice touch in stoppages, versatile player. Yep, and yep. and you know, he'll present up the field. Would you say this about their forwards? Maybe we can tie Rowan into this and Myers into this that they've built a squad of running forwards like Close, Stengel, Rowan and Myers that cover so much ground and along with Cameron make them look like a quicker team in general and they bring so much pressure that in this game in particular it's the spoils went to Close and Stengel but very often it could be Rowan and Myers instead. Yeah, yeah, I think when you put it like that, yeah, it's a very very valid point. Yeah, they're such a strong running team, and they they were just running all over Sydney. Yeah, uh, and then they were they were getting the the loose balls, and they were creating creating goals and opportunities for their teammates all game. Yep. So, do you want to talk about some defenders? Yeah, let's go. All right. Well, the other one that leapt out at me across the game had an impression, a very impressionable game, is Tui, because. Yeah. His, his connection, along with Isaac Smith running back and having really clean hands for releases, I thought Zach Tui's kicking was exquisite, as oh, always. Yeah, there's there's a few kicks in the second quarter where I was just, just watching and admiring him and saying, could he be one of the cleanest kicks of the ball in the game? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was excellent. Great Hen- pressure as well. Yeah, great pressure. Henry, really good job on Buddy. Really good, yeah. I think that was Buddy's one of Buddy's worst games I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, and every time he went up for the ball, he had a shadow. Yep, uh, at least one, at least two shadows. That's how good Geelong's defense was. But Henry wore him like a glove and definitely took the honors. Yeah, he's excellent. Buse uh, does nothing wrong. Doesn't fill the stat sheet, but does nothing wrong. I think he might have had a goal assist. So good yeah. on your Busey, but <laughs> he he's definitely a Mister Reliable. Um, Zach Guthrie, did you like his game? Yeah, he he's another player who's built really nicely. Uh, and do you remember on the third quarter he lined row bottom up with one of the fairer bumps that you'll see, just like stamped his authority yeah. on the game. It was crushing, wasn't it? He's he's quite a good all round defender as well. He's a good yeah. spoiler. He's good with follow up run. Yeah, Zach Guthrie was excellent. Um, we're missing one here, which is Collar Jasny. He capped off a brilliant final series. He did. Uh, and so he, he was really good when the ball was in the air, but I also he's also got quite a distinctive running pattern. Yep. So you could tell, like, so when he's chasing, he was chasing Sydney players, it always stood out. And he had a few few holding the ball, um, like free kicks for. Yep. So yeah, I thought he was desperate all, all game. So even in the third and fourth quarters when the game was already won, uh, he, he was still trying really hard. Yep. After being close to best on ground last week, he's one of the players I've really fallen in love with across this finals. It's been great to see him become such a gun of the competition. Um, little known player here that I'll throw at you, Tom Stewart. Tom Stewart. Yeah, so Tom Stewart's the, the, the main defender. I think Sydney put in a bit of work into him uh, by saying don't kick the ball to wherever Tom Stewart is because he will gobble the ball up. <laughs> Uh, he will, uh, but he also had a really nice hit in the third quarter. He crushed Stevens, Dylan Stevens. Yeah, absolutely crushed him. Um, but yeah, one of his quieter games. But he's like, I can't speak highly enough of him. Yeah, he he didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't dominant, but um, 
never does anything wrong. He's always where he needs to be. So the guys that we haven't mentioned, I'd say O'Connor, he just came in, did exactly what he needed to. He's reliable with, with the ball in hand and defensively was where he needed to be. Yep, and uh, Parfit came on as a medical sub for Guthrie uh, and kicked a goal and everyone got around him, which is really good to see. Yeah, it's a dream sub. Come on in a grand final and your first kick is a goal. Yeah. Love it. What is your one percenter of the game? So there's a lot of one percenters from Geelong's point of view, but I really liked uh, Patrick Dangerfield spoil in the third quarter, which led to a close goal. I've got the same one. It's, that's such a good team goal, isn't it? And it's not just the spoil. The second effort um, to will the ball out, and it just turns into chaos. He gets the unlikely spoil, second effort, wills the ball out, Cameron keeps the ball in, and then it becomes this rolling maul, and there's so many hard acts of football. I think Stanley had a hard play in there, yeah. and then the ball ends up with a holding the ball, which Guthrie gets awarded, and he kicks the goal. That I agree. That's such an impactful one percenter. Yeah, and and there were a few other spoils, like uh, Tom Hawkins won on Tom McCartan, mm-hmm. and then uh, Tom Hickey took a defensive mark, and then he kicked it out the wing and then close spoiled it so that so all day Geelong were not allowing Sydney to play a possession game and as we were saying earlier every time the ball was on the ground Geelong were there in numbers yeah so their one percent is real was a really strong part of their victory yesterday absolutely there's there's one that we've missed and I think we know why it's because it's going to come up in a later category which is there's a close tap for the Selwood yeah. goal, but let's save that a little bit later because we both want to talk about that that sequence. Yeah. Um, and the other one that I... Th- oh, yeah, what have you got to yeah, say? Yeah, I've got one. I, I did mention it earlier, but I think it, I, I do want to repeat it. Gary Rowan's three defensive efforts in the one play. Yes. Maniacal, maniacal yeah. efforts. And Gary Rowan is a speed demon, and when he's defending with that much heart, good things are happening. Yeah, absolutely. And another one you mentioned earlier, Zach Guthrie, that bump, if bump counts as a one percenter on row bottom. Yeah. Ouch. And Tom Stewart's bump. Yep, that's it. What is your goal of the game, Ollie? Well, it has to be the Joel Selwood goal. Yep. Uh, So, yeah, Close did the, the nice tap on, but just what it meant for him, for the club, for his family, for everyone involved. Uh, and you could tell how much it meant to, to the whole team and to, to Joel. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a very special moment, uh, really great goal as well, high degree of, ex- uh, of difficulty, and it just brought down the house. It's one of the most poignant moments on field that I can remember where a player does something brilliant. It was a really tough goal yeah. and then immediately bursts into tears essentially. Yep. yep. Another great thing about that goal is the demonstration of strength from Patrick <laughs> Dangerfield picking <laughs> Selwood up by the jumper <laughs> and lifting him up. It, it was, And the team just got around him. It was an awesome moment, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I think that's fair. That's my answer for goal of the game. But there are contenders. Um, the Tom Hawkins two goals yep. at the start of the game, they were both high degree of difficulty time in the game you're going from essentially the ball being in dispute in a ruck contest to kicking a goal with one possession <laughs> yeah it's unfair yeah that really got them going um Stengel's goals they were all um pretty good there's 
right foot snap. There's a boundary goal, which is a great team goal because it came from um, a Dangerfield left foot sizzler to Stengel yep. in the in the pocket. But his goals in the second quarter from the same spot were amazing. And I must say, the second one, I, I, I could hear that from where I live. <laughs> I wasn't at the game, but it was, do you know in cricket when someone strikes a beautiful ball off the middle of the bat and it makes that tell. sweet sound? That was the Stengel goal. That was the Stengel goals. Uh, and I also liked Isaac Smith's goals. Yeah. Clearances. He, just with his uh, raking left foot from 50 out both times, just sails through. Yep. And they typified his anticipation and cleanliness on the game because yep. he had the step on both of them and the ball came to him and he took space. He did. And something that we like to talk about is uh, coaches' ability to weaponize their play- players. Mm-hmm. And I think Smith's... Arsenal was on full show yesterday. Who brought the good vibes? I'm going to go back to Joel Selwood. Mm -hmm. Uh, So before the game, Joel Selwood ran out with Levi Ablett. Mm -hmm. And you could look at, you could see the absolute joy on Levi's face. And then Joel was carrying him, gave him a few kisses. And the embrace that he had with Gary Ablett after was really beautiful. Uh, and then also Gary Gary's wife gave a lovely, a lovely tribute to Joel Selwood saying he's a champion on and off the field. And I think, you know, a small act like that just exemplifies or typifies how much of a champion Joel Selwood is on and off the field and how great a club uh, Geelong are. Yeah. Football is not just some corporation and it's not just a competitive sport. Football is a community and that is that moment right there is such a beautiful show of Joel Selwood, the community person. And I think he won the community award this year as well. So he is a champion on and off the field. He definitely brought the good vibes. Perfect segue for my answer, which is Selwood-related. After his first goal, the entire team getting around him and the emotion at play. And then later in the last quarter, he has this moment on the wing um, where his teammate spots him up, sensed the occasion that let's give Selwood this moment. You could tell that it was it was in mind to give him that moment and the crowd all stood up and cheered and it could bring a tear to your eye. Yeah, and, and to further typify his standing in the game, uh, Rampy's speech at the end, he singled Joel Selwood out and saying that he's a giant. Yeah, a giant of our game. That's right. I also think it's worth mentioning a great good vibes moment was Danger giving the ball off to Cameron to get him on the scoreboard. Now, Danger was in the running for Norm Smith significantly, would have benefited from so many of the goals that he gave off, but just gave it off to Cameron because Jeremy Cameron has carried the team on his shoulders and carried an enormous load. So just getting his teammate a goal on grand final day, there's plenty of good vibes there. Great vibes. Uh, Jeremy Cameron as well did bring the good vibes. He was celebrating every goal, be it his goals or his teammates' goals, with vigor. Absolute gusto. Absolute gusto. And seeing and seeing your star player celebrate everything like that just brought the good vibes, I reckon. Yep, agree. The deconing goal, plenty of good vibes there as well, where he marked it on the goal line. His teammates just all got around him. It's very fun yeah. when the game gets to party time, um, like it did. And De Koning goes forward, kicks the goal, and you can see him lumbering back to the fence, just overwhelmed with emotion. 
What was the kick of the game? The kick of the game was Zach Tui's release kick to close, presenting on half back. He kicked an absolute bullet, and it was a good example of how Sydney couldn't retain territory in this game. And it was an awesome, awesome delivery. Zach Tui had another one that I want to mention, which was one of the first kicks in the game to Hawkins inside 50, which created the first shot in the Dom Sheed pocket. So I think that deserves a go. Um, you had one, uh, there was a sequence there with a holding yeah. the ball on halfback. Yeah, so Adkins uh, got the ball on halfback and then he, he sort of did a diagonal kick into the centre square that hit up close and then close spotted up Hawkins. So those two kicks in a row were unreal. Yeah, sequential execution. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I mentioned it before, but the Stengel strike from 50, just because it was just such a beautiful, pure hit, even though the difficulty on the goal isn't up there. Yeah. And uh, Dangerfield's left foot kick to Stengel for, to In- set up his pocket goal. Yeah. What are some of your additional thoughts on the game and Geelong Football Club? Well, this is the best managed flag I can remember. I think Dangerfield's the management of Dangerfield coming into the finals is a really good example of that. They had their priorities right from the start. It was also the oldest team ever to take a field in the AFL, so that inherently requires good management. You've got a lot of older bodies that you are trying to prime for the occasion and they absolutely nailed it and they extracted the advantage that you can get from having mature players out there by having them fit and ready at the right time. So that's one of my key takeaways that I'll look back on in a few years and go, that was such a perfect piece of management and planning from the Cats organisation. Agreed. And then... Like, I don't, rightly or wrongly, when I think about old teams in Geelong, I don't associate them with being high-pressure teams, but that couldn't be further from the truth. So even though they were the oldest team to ever play, their pressure was like a young, hungry team wanting to prove a point. Yep. They certainly weren't old and slow, as people um, said last year. And, you know, this is a time to sort of address some of the things that were said and how unfairly they've been criticised in recent years uh, and how silly some people look for saying, oh, look at Chris Scott's finals record. Look at what Chris Scott has just done. He, they, I don't know, they didn't go back down to the bottom really after winning the premiership in 2011. They recruited Dangerfield and Cameron. And apart from that, there's been so much development from within and great planning and utilisation of talent Chris Scott, kudos to you, and it needs to be remembered next time someone wants to stick the boots in because this was exquisite. Yeah, I think his ability to get the most out of his players and to weaponize them, like Smith and, and Dangerfield, is yeah, an absolute credit to him and, and to his staff. Yeah, the, um, the cohesiveness of their forward line is a good example of that. It's the fact that they're... They're always perfectly spaced. Dangerfield is presenting and creating space for Hawkins, but they kick inside 50 with a purpose. Um, even look at someone like Reese Stanley as well when you think about a club management. Reese Stanley has had injury issues, how well they managed him to the finish in this year. Um, and they've turned Reese Stanley and Blissarves into point of difference players. Because they're such great athletes. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, 
and also their talent identification, like Stengel. So I think we all knew that Stengel was a talented player. So he's been on a few AFL lists and they got him as a a DFA. Mm -hmm. And he is one of the best small forwards in the game. Every he make he plays at his own pace yep. as well. So he he never looks flustered. He always always looks like he has time. And how Geelong have managed to pluck him out of out of nowhere and yep. become one of and an all Australian small forward is just an like it just shows how good they are as a club. Yep. He t- and he turns low probability goals into higher probability goals. That's hard to find, and they managed to find that in him, which is great to see. Um, what this means for Dangerfield's legacy is another thing that I think about. Dangerfield, has he's always going to be an all-time great, but to add this premiership and this finals run to the Brownlow that he already had, the amazing career that he already had, I think is so great to see. When you think about it, people love player comparisons in the AFL. And I'd say Dusty and Dangerfield have gotten a lot of comparisons over the year. And I think Danger not having a premiership up to that point just didn't seem all that fair considering how productive he's been. So this is so cool that he was just the apex predator on grand final day. Yeah, he was he was massive. Um, and they have had their comparisons and... You know, Dusty, what we love about Dusty is that he always performs on the big stage and Deja put in a performance fitting of Dusty. Yep, absolutely. Um, we should talk a little more about Selden Hawkins. Like, they they were the thread that brings 2011 up to 2022. You've got star talent coming in via free agency and trade like Cameron and Danger, but having leadership and homegrown star performers across that time to bind the eras together. Yeah. It's so nice to see. Yeah, they're the fabric of the club. And, you know, players like Selwood and Hawkins, I think, they create the culture, the, help create the uh, club culture, which is one of the, and, you know, they're a the strong reason why Geelong have been one of the best run clubs in the last 15 years. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, so you bring in players, you know, Stengel has had trouble in the past. And he comes in into this um, to Geelong, and they, they I did like we don't know what happens behind the scenes at Geelong, but they must have some special source that they they tip on their players, and then they become all Australians. It's a great club culture, a yeah. great club culture, and they don't seem to care what people think as well, because a lot of people in the media go on about how they keep topping up, topping up old list, old list, and ultimately it didn't matter what what Geelong want to do is put competent teams on the park. And I think this team is what you get when you combine competence with confidence. You get excellence. That's what happens. So, Cats fans, this isn't the last you'll have heard from us. We understand at this podcast how the AFL media will move on to trade week very quickly and leave you in the wake. We are not going to do that. In two weeks' time, we're going to release a podcast. So follow us on socials. Um, We're going to release a podcast which is going to be more season in review um, and just looking back on the premiership. We might double back on a couple of what does this mean um, elements and and talk a bit more about legacy, but we'll talk about some of the big games that got you there, some of the players that didn't get to play that we've missed in this podcast. So listen for that. Follow us on socials as well and on YouTube in particular in the coming week, we aim to prolong your victory by cutting up 
footage of all of the game, all of the players' individual games. So you can come back and revisit this win over and over and over. This hopefully is a re-listenable podcast to you over the next few weeks because you should watch the replay, if you're a true fan, at least 10 times. So that means you need to listen to this podcast six times. For the moment, we'll leave you, but let's bask in the glory of the win of the Premiership for one more moment. Go Catters! If you're enjoying the How Bad and Footy podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to follow us on social media. Our socials handles are in the show notes. DM us for feedback on socials also. Thanks.